Welcome back, everybody, to this bonus edition of Drunk Bible Study, the podcast, First Kings 6 and 7. <laughs> I don't know. I'm making up new names for it every time. Uh, so I was curious about the whole bronze versus brass thing that came up in this episode when we were hmm. talking about all these, you know, seas carried by oxen with their butts in the middle or all these <laughs> pillars and, and things Wonderful. like that. And... I found a few different things. So first of all, I was trying to look up how how bronze was cast at this time. You know, like what what was the technique? What did that look like? What was the deal? And I had a hard time finding exactly this time period, but I found some stuff that was about just a few hundred years later, and that probably pretty similar techniques were used at that time. Uh, but basically, it was the the lost wax technique. I think oh, yeah. is I know that one. what they were using. Do you know how I to do, do it? I do actually know that one. I'm not being sarcastic. Okay. I, no, I figured you would. Cause oh, yeah. Lost wax. Yeah. yeah. That's actually, actually, I know what that is, too, because of my boyfriend's company of making miniatures. Right. Making yes. Right. With bronze. That's how they make oh. their bronze miniatures. Well, we haven't come very far in the last 2,000 something apparently years, not. apparently. <laughs> apparently not. <laughs> wow. Uh, okay. Yeah. So, um, Basically, the way it works is you make a rough shape of the thing that you want to make first out of... You you make your mold, I think you carve it out of something, maybe wood or possibly some sort of like a softer rock or something like that. You make like a sculpture. And then out of that, you make a uh, mold out of plaster and you fill that with wax and then you take that wax and you carve in all the details and then around that wax, you do plaster again, but with these sort of like, uh, sort of Little channels channels around it so that it can flow all throughout the whole thing. And then once you have that thing made out of plaster, that's what you pour the, the bronze into and actually make the real mold. The, that's the part that I didn't realize was that there's these kind of two phases of like you get your rough shape first and then you add the details. Then okay. you make this plaster mold, pour your bronze in it. But here's the thing I didn't understand is that in this that I was looking at, the way you get the bronze out of there is that you break the plaster mold from outside of it. But Yeah, break the mold. But it mentioned specifically in this that those 10 basin things were made out of the same mold. And so I don't know if that's just we're being vague and we're like, oh, they actually, you know, they used the same well, wax model to cast but- all the molds or what. But maybe yeah, they had some other cool technique. I don't know. I thought huh. that lost wax was you made your thing, like the thing that you want to make, you make that shape out of wax. You put it in a plaster mold. Mm-hmm. You put the plaster into like a kiln. So the wax melts and runs out. Yes. Yeah. Then you have the mold and then that mold can be used however many times. No. So so in what I was seeing is that when you put the plaster around the wax, that forms one solid shape with just one hole on one uh, side where you pour your, your bronze into. Okay. And you have to break it to get it open. It's not like split down the middle. But maybe they did do it that way for this. But from what I was right. looking up, you still end up with that same thing of you end up with a wax mold. But it was you first carved it out of something else, made it, got your wax, carved more details, and then put the plaster around it and got gotcha. your bronze. But in the video, at least, that I watched, they had to break it to get it out. And so, yeah, I wonder if they had some different technique for this. 
also just while I was trying to research this, I found a site that is the thing that I kept joking about during this episode, basically, which was going through all of these descriptions in detail and figuring out like, what were the volumes of these things? What would they have weighed? How much brass like full on with the the full equations of, you know, well, to figure out the volume of this, we had to, yeah, someone's taken a very deep dive and they pointed out some things like some of the math doesn't add up with like, Mm. this is the radius of the thing. And then this was its circumference and this was its volume. It's like, no, that doesn't add up. And they're saying, well, it could be that the writers were approximating uh, rather because they rounded like to three instead of using pi, which is 3.14159, blah, blah, blah. Um, Or potentially it's not perfectly circular, but it's like an oval. Anyway, so all sorts of different things. It's pretty interesting that someone, I'm glad someone took that deep dive, even if I wasn't able to. And then the last thing I saw was about brass versus bronze. And that's that brass, the first known brass in history is around 500 BC. And right now we're in the 900s BC. So we're not to brass yet, but we're not too far before it. Um, but so actually, this is definitely bronze? Definitely bronze, yes. Okay. Um, so bronze is an alloy primarily of copper, uh, usually with tin as the other additive, but yeah. also potentially some other things like aluminum and silicon, like other elements, but it's mostly copper and tin. And then copper and zinc is what makes brass. Um, hmm. And they have, you know, some different properties and things like that. Um, but bronze is a good conductor of electricity. I learned, though, that um, specifically that 900 BC was when Mesopotamia, which is kind of this region we're talking about, or at least close to it, was fully in the Iron Age by 900 BC, meaning that they had moved from using bronze tools to using iron tools. Hmm. So the fact that we mentioned iron tools in this, I think, is relevant to that, that we're we're not fully in the iron age yet, but it's like, he's using the good tools, using the iron tools and bronze is being used more decoratively. So there's also just kind of interesting, like placing that into history, I guess. Huh? Yeah. Hmm. But the iron, the iron age started in India in 1200 BC and then kind of made it into the Mesopotamia area by like 900 BC. It was in full swing. Yeah. I just thought that was, that was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, I have a really quick, just a little ditty on Solomon's temple versus his actual house. So, okay, I Solomon's temple is known as the first temple, and it was actually destroyed eventually uh, mm. in 470 years, six months, and 10 days after it was built. And the temple was subsequent, subsequently replaced with the second temple in 516 BCE. That's interesting. Huh. Wow. Uh, we're probably going to get to that. Yeah, we'll oh, probably really? hit that at some point. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So maybe well, spoilers. Sorry about that. I'll probably forget. <laughs> but yeah, during different periods of its operation, Ashthra, ba- Baal, the host of heaven, and a solar deity were also worshipped in the high places. Uh-oh. (laughs) I know. I'm surprised. Temple worship included ritual sacrifice and ritual cleansings. It is said to have housed the Ark of the Covenant. Yes. (laughs) Um, So that definitely was there. Okay. And... um, uh, Okay. And then I have, like, this interesting... uh, On Ritmer... Rit... 
www.rittmeyerarchaeologicaldesign.com www.rittmeyer.com they have like a bunch of different archaeological um, pictures of what they think Solomon's Temple and Palace Complex mm. looks like nice. which is pretty fun so I'll try to like link these on the Instagram or something or maybe in our in the Facebook, Facebook Phantom group, yeah. Fellowship group yeah, yeah definitely so wow. okay According to 1 Kings 6 and 7, Solomon built a new temple and palace complex on Mount Moriah. This schematic drawing shows an arrangement of the different buildings based on parallels with similar complexes excavated elsewhere in the Middle East. Mm. The main entrance, yeah, was called the Hall of Pillars, which was flanked by the Throne Hall on the right where Solomon judged, and the Armory called the House of the Forest of Lebanon on the left. The center of the complexes is the palace called Solomon's House, so that's where his actual house was, which had a separate wing for his wife, Pharaoh's daughter. I love how we like don't know what her name is. Her name is just yeah. Pharaoh's daughter. Pharaoh's daughter, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then Emily, from a large... Uh, this would be easier yes. to understand. Could you just refer to everything as porches instead of houses? That would okay, just make yeah, it sorry. better for me. Sorry, yeah. porches. <laughs> um, well, this is from a large courtyard, but I guess a large porch in front of Solomon's house. <laughs> a special royal ascent led up to the temple, which lay on higher ground. A royal so, porch to the temple. A yeah. royal porch to the temple porch. Okay. Got it. And finally, I just want to point out that there's yet another plan on here, like a, another drawing of the whole thing. And it says, on the above plan, the blue line indicates what would appear to have comprised the wall between me and them. It divides the square mount in two equal halves and maybe an indicator of how Hezekiah laid out the boundaries of the square temple mount. The blue dot indicates the place were pottery from an apparently indis- undisturbed layer of, wait, layer dating to the end of the first temple period was found during repair work on the temple mount. Interesting. Wow. I don't know, but that's an interesting idea, like the wall between me and them. <laughs> so like huh. all y'all yeah. over there and then Solomon and his lady are over right. here. Yeah. I mean, I'm not surprised really, yeah. to be yeah. quite honest. <laughs> yeah. And then he had a royal military complex that was located to the immediate south of the temple. So, <laughs> yeah. All right. Okay. All right. Yeah. I'll definitely have to post pictures of that in yeah, the Facebook group so people for can see. For sure. It's yeah. fun time. I'll download them right now. Okay. Drunk, drunk Bible Study Fans and Fellowship. Find it on Facebook. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah. So let's talk about columns and <laughs> classical and neoclassical architecture. Oh, so I'm going to. I'm going to. Yeah, I'm going to share this image with you. Um, Again, if all y'all playing along at home, you can just Google columns architecture, and this will probably be the first thing that comes up. It's an an article on Britannica explaining the different type of columns that we kind of got into the weeds with. Depending on who you ask, there's three or maybe five types of (laughs) columns. It was always taught to me as three um, Doric, Ionic, and Corinthian. As you can see, Doric is the simplest. Ionic is where we get those curly cues that I think mm. we traditionally associate with Greek architecture. And Corinthian is a little bit more elaborate. We got some kind of engraved or carved out, maybe plant matter and flowers and stuff. Um, okay. You know, so that's how you can know. Now, this is interesting to know about and honestly i i'll be honest i did kind of google why do we care about classical architecture (laughs) because i was like why does everybody know this or does it feel like everybody knows this why do i know this i know this because i had a weird acting gig at basically a turkish ren fair where somehow i ended up learning that but that's a story for another time um 
and a Turkish Ren Faire in the States, by the way, oh. not oh, in Turkey. Wow. Really? Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I would have believed that it was in Turkey with you. Yeah, when you were but there. just to just to give a little bit more context, so cla- quote unquote classical architecture is this architecture that we associate with Greek and Roman buildings. So you know, think of the Parthenon, basically at the Parthenon. You know, at the Parthenon, you know, um, in the Acropolis where the Parthenon is. Yes. And then we have neoclassical architecture, which was kind of the revival of those styles in the 18th and 19th century. This is why the White House is neoclassical architecture. Mm-hmm. We use those columns. Why most Capitol buildings uses those kind of columns and has that very like Greekish looking look, you know, or places like Mount Vernon or or Thomas Jefferson's house Monticello is there was very much a revival of really loving these classical styles, which was in response to, I guess, the perceived gaudiness of like Rococo and Baroque architecture. And oh, to give okay. a frame of reference, Rococo and Baroque is like think of Versailles. You know, uh, lots yes. of curly cues and gilding and like paintings all over the walls and the ceilings and, and stuff like that. And ton of gold everywhere. And gold everywhere, you know, and right. so People, I guess, in theory, you know, classical style became popular again because it was considered much more minimalist. You know, these clean lines and bare walls and just like white marble and things like that. Um, Now, the columns that we're talking about with Solomon are interesting because, first of all, they probably didn't look anything like this. Um, It seems like they had lilies on the top rather than any of these curly cues or things like that. There is what's known as a Solomonic column. Oh, Actually, he's got his own sol- column He's style. got his own wow. column. Uh, How fun. Because uh, Constantine, Emperor Constantine, supposedly brought or found these columns that he claimed were from the Temple of Solomon. Hmm. And of course, in reality, you can see they were carved out of Greek marble. And so they probably weren't from the Temple of Solomon. But they are the columns that you see that are like a little curly cue. Oh, like, really? Like helical. Yeah. Okay. Like kind of spirally columns are considered a Solomonic column, or at least that's huh. what they're called, which wow. ironically were very popular in Baroque architecture. <laughs> wow. Gosh. So, but it actually wasn't Solomon. But so it probably wasn't actually Solomon who made that up. Okay. Right. Interesting. Wow. It's, it's interesting, too, because for me, coming from a music background, that Ionian and Dorian are both music scales or modes as well, mm-hmm. but Corinthian is not, and obviously Solomonic is not. Uh, so it is interesting. I was like, oh, are these related to those somehow? But it doesn't, doesn't seem to be, so. Yeah. yeah. Oh, well. Yeah. Well, wow. that was a history of architecture in two minutes. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah, very incomplete history of architecture in two minutes. And uh, yeah, I'm amazed that we had got as much enjoyment out of that reading as we did. Yeah, I'm proud uh, of that. It was fun. Uh, we it enjoyed it. Yeah. It was gotta fun make, times. Got to make it fun for it everyone. It helps to have people in the live show to, to help the time pass and make things a little bit funnier. Anyway, thank you all for joining us for this bonus episode. We are very excited to share these things with you. Go check out our Facebook group, Drunk Bible Study Fans and Fellowship. Come join us for the live shows by going to drunkbiblestudy.com slash live to get more information. And we will see you all next week.